You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. My name is Todd. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit Church, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to do that, to hear more about your story, what brought you to Summit Church today, uh, just what's going on in your life, uh, because we want to see God move in your life. And so thank you for making Summit Church a part of your day. Uh, We are in week number three of a series called The Temple, and we've been talking about some of the features of the temple and how that God in the planning of the temple and in the instructions that he gave to Moses, that, that everything that was there foreshadowed Jesus and the work that he would do. And it's instructive to us and it's revelatory to us. It's one of those things where, you know, in light of the cross, now we get the opportunity to look back and see, wow, God, in, in all of your planning, you, you had purpose and design and you were, you were lighting the way until Jesus came. You were showing your people what it was to worship you, what it was to honor you. You were, you were helping them to understand what it was to be a people who were set apart and who were redeemed by you. And then you fulfilled that in Jesus. And so we've been looking over the last couple of weeks at some of those things. And Pastor Mel talked about some of the gates and he talked about entering the gates with expectation, right? That when we come into the house of God, when we come together and as a community, that there's something powerful about coming with a sense of expectation that the presence of God is here and that God is moving and working among us and that there's something powerful about that. And when we come with that sense of expectation, that's when we begin to see God. God move and we see God at work and we've talked about those things over the last couple of weeks and and so today we're going to dive a little bit deeper we've kind of been out in the courts of the temple over the last couple of weeks but now we're going to kind of move into the holy place we're going to move from the outer courts of the temple and into the inner court and and so then there are there are furnishings there are things that are there inside the temple and every one of them is symbolic of the work of Christ So today, I get the opportunity to talk to you about the altar of incense and its significance for us. So let's dive right in. Uh, Let's look at Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. If you have a Bible, you can open it up and read along. If you don't have one, it'll be on the screens, so you can still read along. Let's read it together. Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10 says this, Then make another altar of acacia wood for burning incense. Make it 18 inches square and 36 inches high, with horns at the corners carved from the same piece of wood as the altar itself. Overlay the top sides and the horns of the altar with pure gold and run a gold molding around the entire altar. Make two gold rings and attach them on opposite sides of the altar below the gold molding to hold the carrying poles. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Place the incense altar just outside the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant in front of the Ark's cover. Uh, The place of atonement that covers the tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. I will meet you there. Every morning when Aaron maintains the lamps, he must burn fragrant incense on the altar. And each evening when he lights the lamps, he must again burn incense in the Lord's presence. This must be done from generation to generation. Do not offer any unholy incense on this altar or any burnt offerings, grain offerings, or liquid offerings. 
Once a year, Aaron must purify the altar by smearing its horns with blood from the offering made to purify the people from their sin. This will be a regular annual event from generation to generation, for this is the Lord's most holy altar. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. God, thank you uh, for your provision for us. We thank you for your word. We pray, God, today that it would take root in our hearts, that it would find good soil. So, Lord, that uh, in its working, we might know you more fully, that we might see you more clearly, that we might be made more like you. So, God, have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this was the altar that was closest to the Holy of Holies. And hey, Michael, can you guys bring up that image for me? Yeah, so this is the inner court of the temple. And so right there, at the, you see there, it says holy, holier, holiest. And then just outside the holiest place in the temple, the Holy of Holies, which was a place that the high priest could only go one time a year, and there were all of these purity rituals that they had to go through and able to be, into, to be able to enter that place. And even after going through all of that, they would tie a rope around his ankle and put bells on the bottom of his uh, garment so that in case he died because he was impure and you couldn't go into the presence of God if you were impure. And so that, so, but then the altar of incense sat just outside of the most holy place. It was nearest to the holy place. And the altar of incense is representative for us of our lives. And the incense that's burned there, this, the aroma that rises from there represents our worship. So like every prayer, every act of service, every song that we lift up to God, all of that is the sweet aroma that rises to God. And so the essence of our lives should be one that draws near to God, to the holy place, that lifts up honor and praise and worship, and that fills the room around us with the fragrance of heaven. And so there are some things, in fact, let me, let me, let me kind of just show you how this, this works. Um, in Revelation chapter five, verse eight, uh, it says, and then he, when he took the scroll, this is John, he's seeing into heaven. He's seeing a vision of heaven. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And so this altar of incense that was there before the holiest place was there to represent this. This is the, the, the prayers of the saints, the offering of God's people that rises up to heaven, that God hears and that God receives and that, that is pleasing to him and that he responds to, right? When the, when the incense was burned in the temple and, and the smoke would fill the temple and the aroma would fill the temple, it was a sign to the people of Israel that the presence of God had come into the temple. And what the, what the scriptures tell us is that God inhabits the praises of his people, right? God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And so this is the picture that's being painted by the altar of incense. And it's a picture of what our lives should be as people who have been set apart for and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who have been set apart for his purpose and for his calling. And so there are some things that I want us to notice about 
this altar today that I think are prescriptive for us and I think can be helpful for us as we, as we endeavor to be a people who live in ways that please God and in ways that reveal his glory to the world around us. So the first thing, and I've kind of touched on it a little bit already, that I, but the first thing I want us to, to understand is the placement of the altar and what it, what it says about our lives. So in order to get to the altar of incense, there were several things that you have to pass by. And can we, yeah, there, thank you. Uh, there are several things that we have to pass by. So they enter into the holy place, right? They've, there's, there's that outer court where kind of everybody can be there, right? Uh, and, we, and there was the court of Gentiles and there was the court of women and they were, they had the, the market that was out there where they would sell the, the doves and the lambs and there's all kind of this stuff going on around the outside, around the periphery. But then when you enter the holy place, that was a place that, well, that only Jewish men could go, right? But, it, but it, what that signified, uh, isn't the patriarchy, by the way. What that signified was that there was a place that only those who were set apart for God could be, right? And you and I have been invited in because we've been made a part of God's family because of the work of Jesus. We've been invited into uh, an intimacy, a nearness, a place with God that, that only those who have been washed by the blood, only those who have been saved, right? Only those of us who have been made a part of the family of God can come into that place. And so when they would enter the holy place, the first thing that they would see is the altar of burnt offering. This is the altar where they would sacrifice the animals. So the, the, the sacrifice of atonement and, and there's the, the, there, all of those sacrifices, right? All the animal sacrifices would be made there. And of course, what that represents is the sacrifice of Jesus. The fact that Jesus himself became the lamb, right? He carried our sin and he laid down his life and he sacrificed himself on our behalf. He took the punishment that we deserved so that we might receive the mercy and the grace of God. And so when they entered the temple, that would be the first thing that they would pass by was the altar of sacrifice. And so just as they would pass the altar of sacrifice to, to enter enter into the holy place. You and I have been invited into a holy relationship with God. We've been invited into the holy place because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we pass by, we pass through, we pass under the cross to enter into relationship with God. And so they would pass by the altar of burnt offering, and then they would move past the brazen, um, the, bra the bronze basin. And this was a big wash basin where the, the priests would ritually clean themselves, right? They would wash their hands and they would purify themselves before they could enter into the holier place, right? The, the, the whole, and so they would wash themselves. And this is representative of the work that Christ does in us to cleanse us and to purify us. So we receive his grace and we receive his mercy by the sacrifice that he made. And then as he begins his work in us, he begins to wash and to cleanse us, to, to change us and to reshape us and to remold us into a people who have been purified and cleansed. In fact, the scriptures talk, uh, the apostle Paul is talking in Ephesians chapter five, and he's talking about marriage, but he, he says that marriage is a picture of what Jesus has done. And, and he says, so, so husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he t describes how Christ loves us. And he says that he gave himself for her 
And then he, he tells the why. He says, so that he might present us. This is Paul talking about Jesus' work in us. That he might present us to himself as a bride who is without spot or wrinkle and glorious. And this is the picture that we have with the bronze basin. They would wash themselves so that they could, be, they could remember that, that there was a purity in relationship with, with God. That there was something that, that he was holy. And so God is washing and cleansing us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So they would pass by the altar of sacrifice. They would pass by the bronze basin. And then they were able to enter into the holy place. So the priest would go into the holy place and then we see that there's furniture there as well, right? There's this table of the showbread and the golden lampstand. And that golden lampstand, that would, they would represent the light of the presence of God that illuminates our path, that shows us how we ought to live, that gives us revelation of who God is. And when we enter into the holy place, when we enter into relationship with God, when we, when we, when we come before him because of what Christ has done in us, he begins to show us us, the glory and the wonder and the beauty of who he is. He lights our path so that we might walk after him, so that we might follow him. And then the table of showbread is there and it represents that, that God has invited us to sit at the table with him, to feast upon his goodness and upon his presence. And we, you know, if we forward to the, the New Testament, Jesus uses the imagery of this, right? In John six thirty five, he says, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will not hunger so all of this symbolism is here in the temple. And so they, they pass by the altar of sacrifice and they, they pa representing the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And then they, they get to the bronze basin that, and it's the cleansing work that Christ does in us to wash us and to cleanse us and to purify us. And then we are brought into the holy place where we are invited to sit at the table and feast with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit lights our way and opens our eyes to the reality of who God is. And, in, and then in all of that, right, we, we, all of that leads us then to the altar of incense, to a place of worship. So that's, that's the path that God has led us on. It's why we're here today, because all of us have been invited in. And that invitation, when we see the beauty of who God is, the, the, only, like, the only reasonable response is to praise. The only reasonable response is to worship. The only reasonable response is to, to draw near to him because there's nothing that's more beautiful. There's nothing that's more compelling. There's no one who, who can satisfy. There's no one else who is worthy. Once our eyes have been opened to the reality of who God is, this is our only, Paul calls it, your reasonable act of worship in Romans chapter 12. Psalm 34, eight says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So the placement of the altar is, um, is important for us to recognize. And all of it is, is God telling this unfolding story of Jesus. So there's the placement of the altar. And then there's also the particularity of the altar. God was, was very specific in his instruction, right? 
He told them exactly how, how, how large it should be. It should be 18 inches by 18 inches by 36 inches. They told him exactly what kind of wood to make it out of. He prescribed that it be overlaid with gold. There was all of this purpose in design, all this particularity in design. And if this altar is representative of your life and of my life and of what the life of worship looks like, what that tells us is that God had particularity in his design and his purpose in crafting and creating you that there's something beautiful and wonderful that he's crafted and created for you to do. There's something that he's purposed for you to do. There's a, a, an aroma and a fragrance that should rise off of your life that brings honor and glory to God and that affects the world around you, that fills the room around you, so to speak, so that the people that you come into contact with know that, that God's presence is there so that your home is filled with the presence of heaven and the aroma of heaven so that your life gives off praise and glory and honor. So that as the scripture says, people might see our good works. They might see the way that we live and glorify the father in heaven. And all of this happens because we've been invited to draw near to the most holy place. We've been invited to draw near to the presence of God where the mercy seat is and where, where the presence of God dwells. You and I have been given access because of what Jesus has done. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, maybe you've not been appointed as a prophet to the nations, but there's no less purpose that God, in what God had for Jeremiah than there is in what he has for you. He knows your name. He knows who you are. He has work for you to do. He has things for you to do to bring honor and glory to him that he's not, he's not given those tasks to anybody else. He's not created anyone else for that purpose, but you, there's something significant. And it's interesting that, that the scripture said that this is God, the most holy altar of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was God, uh, I don't know that I would have picked us Sorry, don't mean to insult you. But like God could reveal himself from heaven with a loud voice. There are a lot of other ways that he could choose to reveal himself, to build his kingdom on the earth. And I don't know that humanity would have been my first choice. But you and I are plan A. And God doesn't have a plan B, by the way. You and I, because of what Jesus has done, what the scripture says that we are now the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God. Your life is the altar of incense. My life is the altar of incense that should, should give off the aroma of heaven. There was particularity not only in the way that the altar was built, but in the incense itself. Look at Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 through 38. This is the instructions that they gave for, the, for the, the ingredients for the incense. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, gather fragrant spices, resin droplets, mollusk shell, and galbanum. Anybody know what galbanum is? I don't. I'm going to look it up later. I'm curious. 
Maybe I should have done it when I was studying for my message. Uh, resin droplets, mollusk shells, and galbanum. And mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense, weighed out in equal amounts. Using the usual techniques of the incense maker, blend the spices together and sprinkle them with salt to produce a pure and holy incense. Grind some of the mixture uh, into a very fine powder and put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant where I will meet with you in the tabernacle. You must treat this incense as holy. Never use this formula to make incense for yourselves. It is reserved for the Lord and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes incense like this for personal use will be cut off from the community. This particular blend of, of spices, this particular blend of incense was only to be used in the temple. It was only to be used for the worship of God. It was never to be used for, for casual purposes. It was never, it was not something they could just use in their homes. It wasn't something that you could, it was reserved for God alone. You and I, should, our, our lives, our worship, our devotion should be reserved for God and for God alone. God didn't call you out of darkness and into his glorious light so that you might give off a fragrance that brings honor to you. Um, I remember when I was... Uh, when I was younger, when I was probably in my, my mid to late 20s, uh, I, I, I traveled with a band, um, kind of regionally around the Midwest, and we, we, we played for youth conventions and summer camps and conferences and things like that. We were leading worship uh, in those places. And, um, you know, it doesn't, do, you, yeah, when, when people put you on a stage, then, then people think you're somebody. That's, it's weird how that works. Like uh, probably some of you, because we're pastors and stand on this stage, think, that, think things about us that aren't true, honestly. Uh, but uh, that, that kind of happens. Um, so anyway, long story short, uh, I was standing at the back of the venue at, at the end of the night because our band had a table where we had T-shirts and CDs and you know that kind of thing. Um, eight by 10 glossies, which is really weird when I look back and think about it. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm signing things because there are kids there that are in a line wanting us to sign stuff. And I'm signing my autograph and, you know, I want to be spiritual too, though. So I'm putting my favorite scripture verse under my name because that's what you do, you know? And, um, I'll be honest, I was enjoying it quite a bit. I liked the attention. And I remember I was standing there and I was signing things and, uh, and I, I, heard the, I heard the Lord speak to me and, uh, and he said, the voice of the Lord in my, kinda in my mind, my heart, he said, that belongs to me. And instantly I knew that what the Lord was revealing about what was going on in my heart was that there was glory that belonged to him that I was willing to take on myself. That 
that even though I was there to lead worship and, and what I should have been doing was giving off a fragrance that, that brought honor and glory to God, what I was willing to do was, was to like take that on myself. And here's the thing, you and I were created to be containers for glory, right? We were created to hold the glory of God and to carry it into the world around us, but we were never intended to be the source of that glory. And we're also never intended to hold that glory. God places his glory in us so that we might give off, right? His, that, that we might radiate his glory to the world around us. But what happens oftentimes is that we then are willing to just consume that on ourselves. And that's kind of where I was in that moment. And God had to, had to you know, check me. And it's been something that I've carried with me for, for years now, right? Because I, I stand on a stage a lot. And I lead worship a lot. And you guys are so kind to come and say, that was so good. And thank you so much. And the music was so great today. And I, and I, I you know, and I, I, I receive that. And, 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 I, and I know it often comes and I'm always, all, you know, I don't, it comes from a good place. You guys aren't trying to say, Todd, you're so awesome, right? But it, but the thing is that that's where our heart can go if we allow it to. And what happens is that, that we think that the thing that God has entrusted us with, we start to think of it as ours. And when we begin to think of it as ours, that's a dangerous place for us to be. When, when you and I begin to think that the house that we live in is ours, and it's not a resource that God has entrusted us with for his glory. When we, when we mistakenly believe that the job that we have is just a means to an end, and that it's not a place that God has positioned you so that you might bring honor to him, to people who may not know him, See, there's a fragrance that your life should give off and that my life should give off that don't have anything, doesn't have anything to do with us. In fact, it should be reserved for God and for God alone. In James chapter four, James is writing to the church and, and there's kind of this kind of issue going on and he uses some really strong language uh, to describe what's happening. And uh, so get mad at James, all right, not me. Um, but he, he opens, this is James chapter four, verse number four. He says, you adulterers, <laughs> right? That's strong stuff. And he's not talking about like, well, he's talking about us cheating on God. That's what he's talking about, right? Uh, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. I love that, that James is in the middle of this really harsh rebuke, right? And he, he stops dead, dead in the middle and goes, by the way, God gives grace. 
As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Is that you today? Is that me today? Is our loyalty divided between God and the world? Is the incense of our lives, is the fragrance of our lives bringing honor to the Lord or, or our, is our heart divided? He says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble your hearts before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Something that I've been praying a lot recently is like, God, man, let me hate the sin in my heart. Help me to hate. Help me to hate it the way that you do. Because I want to be set apart for you. I want my life to, to burn and, and for that fragrance to be you. And so, so the... So the placement of the altar was important. And the particularity and the purity, right, of the altar was important. And then the last thing that I want us to know is the power or the potency of the altar. When it was lit, the smoke and the aroma would fill the room, right? It was, it was a powerful. But here's the thing about that. Incense doesn't do anything until you set it on fire. What's the fire that burns in your life today? What is it? What's the passion that you burn with today? The fire that lit the golden lampstand that was in, in the holy place, the fire that lit the lamps came off of the altar of incense, right? So, so the, the, the illuminating light of the presence of God in your life and in my life is lit from this altar and this place of worship, this place of devotion to God. And so the lampstand was lit from the light on the altar or from the fire and the altar of incense. And the altar of incense was lit from the fire that was on the altar of sacrifice. Every morning they would take a coal from the altar of sacrifice and that's what they would light the altar of incense with. And so worship always has to originate in the work of Jesus, in the sacrifice that God has made for us. That's the thing that should make that should be the passion of our lives, the fire of our lives. That's the thing that will ignite the aroma of heaven in us is when we remember that it's the sacrifice of Jesus that has brought us near. It's the sacrifice and the work of Jesus and nothing else that we have done. It's not any good thing that I did. It's not any good thing that you did. I can't be strong enough or rich enough or smart smart enough or good looking enough or talented enough or anything enough. It had to be the sacrifice of Jesus. It had to be his atoning work, right? His death, the fact that he laid himself down. That's what has invited us in and brought us in. And our worship has to always originate from there. We, God forbid that I should come before him and say, Lord, look at what I've done in your name. Look at all these things that I've done. Look at what I've brought to you. Look at what, because the, the scripture is clear that there will be people who stand before God at the end, when they stand before the throne of judgment and they'll say, look at all the things we did in your name. And, and the Lord will say, I never knew you. 
But when our life is lit by, when we are on fire because we recognize what Jesus has done, that changes everything. It changes the focus of our worship. It changes the focus of our lives. It changes the way that we go about our day. It changes the way we look at other people. It changes our aim. It changes everything. Check this out. This is so amazing. I I love this part. Do you know where the fire that lit the altar of sacrifice came from? Look at this. This is in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 22 through 24. It says, after that, so this is when they first had built the tabernacle. After that, Aaron raised his hands toward the people and blessed them. Then after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering, he stepped down from the altar. So he lays the animals, right, for the sacrifice on the altar, and then he steps back. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle, so they go into the holy place. And then when they came back out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell face down on the ground. So it was God himself that lit the fire on the altar of sacrifice. Do you understand the significance of this? It's we have to understand that there is nothing that, that we can't take any credit for the work. We can't take any credit if your life has been transformed, if my life has been transformed by the work of Jesus. We can't take any credit for that. And even the fire itself came from God. It was his idea. It was his work. You and I didn't come to him. He came to us. While we were sinners, while we were far away, while we were separated from God, he came near to us so that then we might come near to him. The fire that sparks the incense of praise in our hearts and in our lives is lit by the sacrifice of Jesus. We can't light it with our own passion or effort. It isn't something we can manufacture. True worship comes from seeing the glory of God and trusting in the finished work of Jesus. In fact, there's another story in Leviticus that I think is is a, a proper warning for us or caution for us. And it's in Leviticus chapter 10, so the very next chapter, right? So God lights the altar of sacrifice and, 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 and worship. Uh, you know, this kind of system of worship begins uh, in, the, in the tabernacle. And then the very next chapter, so Aaron, who was the high priest, he had these sons named Nadab and Nebihu. Poor guys. Um, so in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Uh, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burner and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. Now, if you and I try to bring our good deeds to God and, and think that that's something that's going to impress him. Uh, that fire isn't going to come down from heaven and consume us the way that it did Nadab and Abihu. But I think that it's, it's, it's 
good for us to understand that when I, when I think that there's some good thing that I have to bring to God, when I think that it's my good works or my good deeds or my anything that, that, that I can bring to God and that gives me favor before him or that, that justifies me before him, that, that kind of thinking and that kind of action is death to us. In fact, in Galatians, Paul is, is dealing with some of this kind of thinking. The, 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 people, the church in Galatia had, had, had come to Christ because they heard the gospel and received it from Paul, uh, but then they were being tempted to, to fall into uh, legalism. There were, there were some Jewish Christians who said, oh no, you've gotta be circumcised and you gotta do this and you gotta do that and you gotta follow all the, the, the special days and that, you know, and that somehow that that would then be the thing that, that sustained them, that justified them before God. And Paul comes and he says, hey, look, that's not even the gospel. That's a whole other, go- that's, that's not good news. Because if, if you and I fall into that trap of thinking that there's some good thing that I have to offer to God, or that, that it's my work that, 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 you know, that justifies me before him, then we forget the sacrificial work of Jesus. We've forgotten what God has done for us. And, and Paul says in that light of that, then there would have been no need for Jesus to die. Trying to light the flame of worship by our own works is death to us. But if we will stay in touch with, and we will remember, this is why we receive communion on a regular basis, guys. We, we, we remember that it is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, and it is that alone that has, that has purchased our pardon. It is that alone that, has, that brings us into the holy place, that draws us near to God. And because of what Jesus has done, we can draw near. And when we recognize that and we stay in touch with that reality, it, it should light a fire in our hearts that, that, that sets off an aroma, right? It, it should be the reason that when we come into this room together, that we are ready to lift our hands and to honor the one who has saved us. It should be the reason that we are ready at every moment to give an answer when someone asks about the hope that we have in us. It should be the thing that drives us. It should be the thing that, that causes us to go, Lord, make me holy and pure before you. Wash me. Make me like you. Let me reflect who you are. Let me reflect your glory. Let me give off the the fragrance and the aroma of heaven because I have received a gift that I could never have earned. And I have received favor and I have been invited in. And God, I want everyone to know how good you are. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10, and I'll, I'll end with this, invite the, prayer, the worship team to come forward. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, there, there are good things that God's got in store for you 
There are good things that he's called you to do. There are people that he's called you to share his love with. There, 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 is a, there, there are things that he has set aside for you to do for his glory that, and, and only for you to do. But when those are the things that we're setting ablaze, so to speak, when we're, when we're taking coals from our own works, from our own altar, and trying to light a fire of worship, and it's really more about me than it is about God, then that's not, as I said, that's death to us. But man, when you and I can rest in the finished work of Jesus and recognize that, like, man, God, you're so good. And that's the thing that stirs us up. That's the thing that, that ignites our heart in the morning. That's the thing that we lay down at night and remember. And when we stay in touch with that, that's, there's freedom there, church. And I, I don't have time to unpack all of that. But my question for us this morning is this. Like, what, what is it that, that burns in your heart today? What is it that, is your life giving off the fragrance and the aroma of heaven? Is my life giving off the, and radiating the glory of God? Or is there something that I'm consuming on myself? Am I content with the glory that comes from the praise of people? Am I seeking after the glory that only comes from drawing near to God? Are your heads with me this morning? If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.